my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. The best part of the hunting season is finally here. We've waited for this all year long. Now let's make it count with some great gear from our partners. First up, Tacticam is our title sponsor, and their point-of-view cameras are my go-to method for filming my hunts. Their new 6.0 camera has added a 1-inch LCD touchscreen that has totally changed the game for me. Its lightweight design, weatherproof housing, and one-touch operation really simplify the self-filming process and make sure that I have high-quality footage to share with my family and friends. My personal favorite for archery season is two 6.0 cameras, one on a stabilizer mount on my bow and one on a bendy clamp mount for an over-the-shoulder angle. And I pair this with a Tacticam remote so I can turn both cameras on with a push of a single button. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. Now, as the temps begin to drop, I know I'll be hunting in comfort with my Huntworth camo. Huntworth is making high-quality, technical hunting clothing at a fraction of the price of other brands. This time of year, I'm making sure to layer smart. I start with a set of base layers, either the Casper or the Bangor, which I have found to be very comfortable and moisture-wicking. Next, I'll have on either my Elkins midweight top and bottom or my Saskatoon heavyweight top and bottom. Either way, I'm also going to be bringing my Saskatoon vest. And because the hunting often gets better when the weather turns nasty this time of year, the Winstead rain suit lives in my hickory pack all the time. And I can honestly say that this is the best rain suit that I have ever used. You can learn more or grab your Huntworth gear today at HuntworthGear.com. And finally, the Onyx Hunt app is an absolutely indispensable tool for me this time of year. If I'm not in the action, I'm going to be making a move to go find it. And the Onyx Hunt app helps me identify those terrain features that I want to key in on with their latest aerial imagery additions. The app now has fully functional 3D on both iOS and Android, low-resolution satellite images updated every two weeks with historic look-back, and leaf-off imagery all in addition to the base maps that you've always had in the app. Get more out of your maps this season and know where you stand with the Onyx Hunt app. Now let's get into this week's show. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. I'm your host, Pierce Nellis, and this is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. Folks, this week, we are trying something new here. We're going to do a little cold open. I've got Mr. Jeff Hintz on the line. Uh, Jeff, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Excellent, man. I'm happy to have you on here. So this is kind of a unique situation, right? So you and I met this past weekend so folks listening to this this would be two weekends ago um you and i met at the uh bha BHA. northern icebreaker uh that whole banquet uh over in fort atkinson at kashkanong mounds uh country club last weekend um ended up sitting at together at, at the same table for dinner um didn't really realize that at the time but essentially what we ended up doing with the bha guys was uh, 
I, I spoke with Matt, as you heard, and you know, all the, the ads for the last couple of weeks. Um, we decided it might be a good idea. Why don't we, as one of the raffle prizes, we can raffle off a guest slot on an episode. See what we can do there. So we were starting to do that. About halfway through, Matt decided to call an audible and thought, hey, let's live, we'll live auction this thing off. How about that? Uh, and I was like, well, I mean, if there's tags in there or raffle tickets, then I don't know, but we'll see and all that. And so what we ended up doing was going up, we live auctioned the episode off, pulled out two tickets. Matt asked who had the tickets in there. Yours, your, your hand was one of the ones that shot up. So I was immediately like, oh, cool. I was sitting five feet away from, you know, 10, yeah, or 10 right. seconds ago. Um, and so we decided to do that earn some money for the BHA in the process. Um, and then you're here as our, uh, as our, I'm blanking on the word here. Jeez, our uh, esteemed guest. Not huh. right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so basically you and I started chatting about how we were going to do this, what we wanted to talk about, kind of bounced some ideas around, ended up talking turkey hunting more than anything, didn't we? But <laughs> um, yeah. so we're going to dive into a couple things here. Our main, our primary focus is going to be on, uh, you know, mentoring in the outdoor space and, you know, finding mentors, being a mentor, stuff like that. You serve uh, on the Conservation Congress for the state of Wisconsin as well. We'll get to all of that. But first off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of just where you're from, some of your outdoor interests, um, maybe how long you've been hunting, fishing, pursuing all things outdoors? Sure. Um, I'm from Waukesha County. Uh, I was born and raised in Pewaukee on a small farm. Um, both my parents grew up on dairy farms in northern Wisconsin. Uh, my dad had 11 siblings and my mom had four. So very large families. Mm -hmm. I I actually have 61 first cousins. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big group. But uh, I have one sister. We grew up on that small farm. Um, my dad came from poverty. They, they, had it, they had it pretty rough when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, my grandparents still used an outhouse and heated their house with wood and cooked on a wood stove. So no kidding i'm 58 now so i mean you know this is 50 years ago but mm -hmm. um most of my relatives hunt and fish and his brothers and sisters did it you know to feed the family mm -hmm. uh, besides farming so um my dad was my main mentor um we spent a lot of time in the outdoors together uh and so that's kind of where i come from you know um so i've been hunting i started deer hunting when i was 11 which at that time was illegal but my birthday's <laughs> in november right in the middle of deer season <laughs> count it <laughs> so yeah my my dad and my, and my uncle um you know filled up up the, the license and put my birth date in September instead of November so I could go with them. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, 
Was this hunting around yeah. Milwaukee or was this hunting up north? No, we we hunted we hunted in the Wausau area. Okay, you know, got on, it. On family land up there. Sure, sure. Um, awesome. So that's how that all kind of started. So, and that's back in the day when we had party tags. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, where you had to have a group of three people would send in, and you may draw a dough permit. Um, that's kind of how that worked then. Right. And, so were uh, you guys running full on, you know, big family deer camps up there? And actually, no. You know, some of my family, extended family, did that, but for okay. me, it was mainly my uncle, my dad, and myself. Got it. And, um, Very cool. you know, we would get together with family in the evenings and that type of thing, but the three of us kind of did our own thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, uh, yeah. So is it more and, so you guys were the, the main hunters or you were, uh, you just had your own sort of style of, or of hunting compared to the rest of the family? Yeah, exactly. We, okay. we just kind of, uh, I mean, the rest of the family, they all, they all hunt. Sure. And, and uh, and and we did too. We just didn't join in with them. Once in a while, we do a, a big deer drive okay. with a group, but usually sure. it was just the three of us. Got it. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So then, when you're down in Pewaukee, are you able to hunt and you know pursue game and stuff out there as well, or down there? Absolutely. We um, some uh, Sundays after church is always rabbit hunting. Okay, and in, I like you know, that. So, so we did we did a lot of that, and um, my dad would send me off with a twenty-two, do a little squirrel hunting whenever there was time to do that type of thing. And my dad raised Labradors, mm -hmm. so um, he raised them and trained them, and he was a waterfowler too. So excellent. Um, did quite a bit of that. And back in those days, we actually had wild pheasants mm -hmm. in the state. Yeah. There was a few left around. So sometimes he'd tell me just to take one of the labs and see if how many pheasants I could flush up, you know, <laughs> walking around fence lines and that type of thing. Sure. So awesome. Um, my uncle had a farm also, and uh, we kind of farmed together. And they would they would have me go down. He, my dad had a single shot Mossberg twenty two, and when I was a kid, they'd have me sit between the grain bin and the machine shed. And there was about a four foot gap in there, and they'd tell me to go down there and shoot the rats when they'd run between back and forth. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that was a really good lesson because I I learned learned how to time those rats running back and forth, and I became right. a pretty good shot. You know, yeah, so, I believe it. Yeah. Especially with the single shot, man. And I mean, that's those rats don't tend to be too slow. No. <laughs> yeah, they zip, they zip back and forth pretty good. But yeah, it's a, you know, it's kind of a fond memory of when I was a kid. Right. Um, you know, and at the time, I was like, man, I'll never hit one of these things. But after a while, I started getting a little better at it. Sure. Sure. Like anything. Yeah, you just got to practice and figure it out. So then, yeah. did you guys end up doing any deer hunting or anything down near Pewaukee, or was that a primarily uh, a Northwoods thing? Yeah, yeah, I was mainly up north. Okay, yeah, got it. Uh, um, my dad would during the week sometimes in between, you know, uh, mm -hmm. while I was in school, but 
on the weekend, you know, those two weekends during gun deer season, we'd head, head up north. Sure. Absolutely. So I'm curious, as you're learning stuff then, and as you're kind of figuring things out and, you know, uh, you know, taking things step by step, you know, as an outdoorsman, looking up to your dad and grandpa, what were some of those, uh, I guess some of those aha moments or some of those big, you know, what was when something clicked, right? What were some of those moments that you had as you were uh, kind of figuring stuff out? Because I think it's, you know, everybody, I reflect back as you're, I listened to you talk about, uh, you know, shooting rats, you know, running back and forth. You know, I remember being seven or eight years old and I mean, we practically didn't even need the recycling bin because I was out in the backyard shooting, you know, tin cans, you know, as, as any free time I had, I was out there shooting them. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's stuff like that where you kind of experiment and you're like, oh, wait, that actually worked. Interesting. All right. Um, what, what were some of those moments that you had? Um, I mean, some of the things I remember most once, uh, we, I learned a duck hunt on the Mississippi river out of Ferryville. Okay. And sure. uh, so I was 12 or 13 and, and we had, we had a bigger boat that we'd pull a 14 foot John boat. We, we stay on the Iowa side and then go across the main channel to the Wisconsin side. Okay. We're back on, on these islands and I don't recall what it was, but my dad needed something out of our vehicle and, and he told me to take that 14 foot boat with that five horse Johnson and go by myself. <laughs> and he said, just watch out for the barges coming down the river. And yeah. I really learned to respect the water after that day. Mm -hmm. I mean, boy, you're just like a tiny little sailboat out, paper boat out there on that big river, you know? Right. And I don't know how many people would go on the main channel on a 14-foot John boat nowadays, but, you know, back then, oh, that's a 14-foot boat. That's pretty decent size. Right. <laughs> Not anymore. Um, you know, and uh, I learned to, I really enjoyed small game hunting by myself. Mm -hmm. And to be able to just lean up against a tree and watch for squirrels and learn to be quiet and, and, uh, you know, be observant. Right. And I, I really remember that stuff from being a kid and mm -hmm. that really carried over into, um, big game. Yeah. You know, uh, being able to sit for, you know, six, eight hours in a stand and, which I don't really do much anymore. I'm not that type of, I can't do that, but I used to. Mm -hmm. uh, I really drifted over to waterfall as I got older. And I just uh, pretty much have always had Labradors and enjoyed training those dogs and enjoyed the camaraderie of, of being with other people in a blind. Absolutely. And still hunting alone. Hunting yeah. alone once in a while too is great. Mm -hmm. So- yeah, I guess that's kind of things I picked up on. Sure. It's interesting you say that about small game hunting, because we've talked about it in, in a number of different lights here over the past couple of weeks um, or months, I, I guess we should say, um, you know, and just how, you know, as hunter numbers are declining, so are small game hunting numbers or hunter numbers, 
within that, right? There's fewer and fewer small game hunters out there these days. But, you know, I've listened to, uh, you know, t chatted with a number of people who grew up small game hunting. And, uh, um, you know, I, I even, I was listening to an interview with, uh, I believe it was Tony Peterson, where he said that his dad wouldn't let him deer hunt until he had graduated from small game hunting. And that was his, uh, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, his, his schooling or his training as a woodsman was, you know, being able to hit a small target like that, being able to sit still long enough, like he said, and, you know, just kind of absorb the woods and absorb all the sounds and all the little things that you pick up on, whether you're, you're conscious of it or not. Um, man, that, that's, I love that you said that. Cause that's, that's something that I think just in general, more and more people are starting to miss out on. And that's something that, especially at a young age, when you are just kind of like a sponge, you know, you start to be able to discern like, oh, you know what, that, that sounded like a squirrel, but I don't think that was, that might've actually been a deer. It sounded a little heavier than a squirrel or, you know, vice versa, yeah. whatever it may be. When did the uh, transition to waterfowl start to occur? Well, I mean, I did as a kid with my dad mm -hmm. and, um, when I was a, going to be a senior in high school, my family moved to Colorado. So we lived there for three years and I didn't really hunt when I lived mm -hmm. there, which a lot of missed opportunity, but I did fish, but I didn't hunt. And sure. then I moved to California for a year and I came back to Wisconsin. Um, and friends of mine were pretty big into waterfowl hunting. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, my dad passed away and he had a Labrador at that time. So my mom asked me if I wanted her. So I went up, out to California and picked that dog up and brought it back. And uh, kind of, I guess the rest is history. You know, I just <laughs> fell in love with, with waterfall hunting and, and the dogs and the smell of the marsh and the whole thing you know mm -hmm. I, I still deer hunted pretty heavily at that time and i bull hunted too but i slowly drifted away from that and and i really got into waterfall the other thing that really turned me over was i have four kids and as they were growing up it's difficult for me to be able to take them all deer hunting mm -hmm. but it wasn't difficult to take them waterfall hunting right i could take I could take all four if I wanted or two at a time, or, you know, mm -hmm. I could field hunt with them. And, and that made a big difference too. That was sure. a big change because I was able to do it with them where it was, it's because I didn't own any big tracts of land. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of difficult to say, Hey, uh, you mind if I bring two or three of my kids along deer hunting? You know, it's kind of a tough thing. Right. That was a big change too. Sure. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. That's, that's a great point. A really great point. So you're what, like early twenties when you get this dog? Yeah. Bring it back over. Okay. 23. Awesome. Yep. Got it. And so then are you, everything's staying around, I guess most of your waterfowl hunting is kind of staying down in that Southeast corner of the state then, or are you starting um, to at that? Range that a little time, bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the trips to North Dakota started and then <laughs> two trips to North Dakota per year. And yeah, started venturing out. 
Um, but uh, yeah, the majority of it was Southeast Wisconsin, um, Watertown area. Mm -hmm. And now I have a place in Adams County. So I, I hunt the Wisconsin river up there too. Okay. Excellent. Very, very cool. Yeah. So it, it's kind of cool then you're able to kind of transition from what it sounds like, at least, you know, you've got this kind of family lineage of mentorship in the outdoors, right? Like your, your, your dad and your grandpa kind of taught you how to, you know, the ropes and showed you how things were. And then you were able to pass that on. And how young were you getting the kids out in the, in the marsh with you? Um, pretty young. Um, seven, eight years old, they okay. started going. Cool. You know, and, and uh, um, I, I pushed them pretty good. Uh, mm -hmm. That's one thing I've learned. Um, that not everybody's as passionate as you may be when it comes to whatever your pursuit is. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I, as they got older, I got a little pushback and, 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 but now that they're all adults, mm -hmm. we, we still hunt together. Oh, uh, cool. So it's, yeah, it, it worked out well. Good. And, and friends of mine all have, they, not all of them, but friends of mine have kids same age as mine. And okay. they mentored their kids differently than I did. How so? Um, they, like if, if, if their child was like, yeah, I don't really feel like going today. A lot mm -hmm. of times they wouldn't show up, you know, and I sure. was always surprised. Like, wow, really? You just didn't bring them along, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and now when I talk to my kids and they're like, yeah, dad, we tell you like three times, we really didn't feel like going, but <laughs> just kept pushing, you know? So, um, but, you know, it all worked out. Uh, right. Both ways, both ways. But, you know, I would, I guess if I, did it over again, I'd probably look at that a little closer. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and I'm sure too, there's a, obviously, you know, there's a learning curve with anything, right? So I'm sure there's a learning curve with, you know, sure. figuring out as you're hunting, you know, solo and uh, without, you know, then when you start adding kids to the mix as well and okay, like who's, you know, are they bundled up enough? Like, are they, you know, where are they at? Keeping track of them alone, I imagine is, uh, you know, enough oh, of yeah. a chore as well, but no, that, yeah. that's really cool. And I, so I'm curious then, so it sounds like you had kind of just this mindset shift over the years. How has your, your mindset shifted, I guess, over the years, kind of from like, you know, point A, learning to hunt through your, you know, 20s, 30s, and, and so on to kind of where you're at now? Well, that's a really good question. And there's a really good book that can answer a lot of that. It's okay. called The Hunter by Dr. Bob Norton. Right down. It, it goes through, and he's actually from Wisconsin. And it 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 goes through the stages of being a hunter. Okay. And I'm not going to go through all the stages, but like when you start, you just want to harvest something. You mm -hmm. want to get something. You don't care what it is. It, you know, a spike buck. And as you progress, and not everybody progresses through all of the stages, mm -hmm. but, you know, you get to the point where 
Now it's numbers. You want a limited ducks every time you go out. And if you don't yeah. get a limited ducks, you're not happy. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you get to the point where it's about trophies. You know, you want 15 inch spread or bigger, or you let them go, you know, yeah. that type of thing. And then you get to the point where I'm probably at now, um, where you're just happy to get out. Mm -hmm. And if I hear a turkey gobble when I go turkey hunting, I'm good with that. Right. Um, I mean, I still have to drive, but it's not like that I have to harvest. Right. You know, and that's kind of where I'm at now. And I appreciate when I can hunt with my children or anyone else that wants to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really, really enjoy introducing new people. Um, I've done... Uh, learn to hunt turkeys with a few adults and some kids. I've mm -hmm. done youth hunts with all of my kids, of course, and sure. I've taken their friends. It's just, I really enjoy doing that. Right. Um, and now you met uh, my girlfriend, Karen, and yep. she comes from an outdoor background, but she never hunted. Mm -hmm. and, and then uh, we got together and now I've been careful because I don't want to push too hard. Yeah. And she, she's engulfed herself into this hunting game now too. So, <laughs> um, it's, it's been good. And I, I think that's a good lesson, you know, not to push, not to push too hard. Let, let the, the person decide on their own, right. You know, how far they want to go with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I guess, first off, since you mentioned Karen, we can't do this episode without real quick touching on the fact that you both, when we were at dinner, said that you never win anything in these raffles. And you two... We were standing at the same table together, man, and you would have thought our table had bought half the tickets in that joint because holy smokes, you guys were on fire. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was pretty ridiculous. Um, I mean, I've been to a lot, a lot. I used to do, you know, DU banquets and Wisconsin sure. Waterfall Association mm -hmm. and uh, WTF, which I'm a huge supporter of, and you know spent way more than I've ever won, right. which is fine. I mean, it's all for a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we ended up, we did very well. Yeah. As a matter of was... fact, I, <laughs> I, did, I did actually turn back one of the um, tip-ups because we won three in a row, and I'm like, someone else has to win. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 gave, I felt guilty, you know? Right. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, no. I probably... We'll probably go to 10 more banquets and won't win a thing. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, man, that was just hilarious because, like, right literally, like 20 minutes before we went in, we never win anything. Who cares? It's all yeah. for a good cause, whatever. But, and then, right. like, I think I came in late and my girlfriend's like, hey, they won, they got a Yeti. And it's like, oh, cool. All right. <laughs> next thing, next yeah. thing, next thing it was hilarious. 
that was man that was just a, a fun banquet I, I gotta just take a quick minute to thank all the uh the members of the backcountry hunters and anglers and staff at koshkanong mountains uh country club for for putting on such an awesome event because that really was a blast and you know it's the camaraderie there obviously you know we're sitting here chatting here still uh i mean that was just second to none it was a great great event um you know i'm circling back to to you mentoring others and getting people uh you know, into it. How have you gotten involved with that on, uh, I guess, to scale? Because you, you've helped out with some of the BHA Learn to Hunt weekends and stuff, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alec uh, Becker's last year was looking for mentors for their Learn to Hunt turkey. Mm -hmm. So I signed up for that. Um I just want to say BHA is probably one of my favorite conservation organizations right now. And yeah. the main reason is the youth that's in it. I mean, a lot of the organizations now are, are people my age and older. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really worried about that. I'm, you know, they're, we're going to age out and to the BHA, everything I've been to, it's a lot of younger men and women and it it's great and they're they're ready to work um i've had them helping me with a couple of projects already so i try to give back as much as i can to that organization and you know they're doing a great job mm -hmm. but Definitely. uh that turkey hunt um i ended up taking out uh a gentleman that he, he lives here now, but he was born and raised in South Africa and um, took him out. And we were lucky enough to harvest a bird, which was, mm -hmm. it was really cool. It was right. Fun. So, yeah. How did that, uh, it sounds like there's a story behind that. How, how did that all go down as he, as he got his first bird? Did you call um, one through the timber? Was it a field one coming and working decoys? Well, we started, we started on the edge of a field. It was all on public land in Calumarine State Forest. Awesome. And we started on the edge of the field. My preferred tactic is run and gun. Mm -hmm. I, you know, with, with somebody new, I would rather start, especially in the dark, just sitting. Right. And we had we had birds working us. And um, there was a group, I don't know, it was maybe four or five toms and a few jakes chasing some hens on, on some private land. And we were working them in towards us. And they were off to our left. And I had, I had told him just to kind of slide over easy to the left. And he moved kind of quick. And one of the mm -hmm. jakes saw us. And, you know, that was the end of that. Mm -hmm. But I had another spot picked out. So we went over there and... and we did some walking and calling, running and gunning, and, and we struck up a bird. He's pretty far away, and so we kept kind of working towards him. And we came up on a. It was probably a two-acre field on the edge of the woods, which I was like, "Oh, we we have to sit here for a little bit, see right. what happens." And this is like prime. You could, can't ask for anything, <laughs> right? So we. We sat down and we weren't sitting five minutes and a hen came out and was walking right towards us. 
you know, and I whispered to him, just keep your eye out. There could be a Tom phone or, mm -hmm. and I took my slate and I, I just heard just like three hers, you know, three, just one mm -hmm. stroke yeah. slate and a bird gobbled to our right behind us. Oh. So I kind of look over my shoulder and here's a Tom at probably 70 yards in full strut. And he's behind us though. Mm -hmm. And the hen's in front of us. So the hen's kind of heading towards them. So I'm trying to stop her with a little bit of yelping and putting. And right. she stops and she's looking and that Tom worked his way out just far enough that he could get a shot. And, oh. and that, was, that was the end of that. So but I mean, it worked out great. If if he if he hadn't gobbled to that little bit of a purr I made, we would have never known he was there. Right. We watched the field, you know. So, oh yeah, he gave, man. He gave himself up. So yeah. What a great up. story for a first bird. That is so yeah, cool. I mean, you know, and he got, you know, he got a good show in the morning with birds gobbling mm -hmm. and fly down and strutting and so yeah, it worked oh, out well. Oh man, you can't ask for anything better than that. No, not really. You got you got just enough of it. You know, you got busted, so you had that little bit of a uh, little bit of struggle in there too, and then you get to walk yeah. around and strike one up. Man, that's that literally could not have gone any better. That is so right. cool. Good for you guys, I man. A, I took a guy out that I worked with that moved here from North Dakota. He was a younger guy. I took him on a on a farm nearby um, Sussex here, mm -hmm. and we run out a half hour. And Tom walks out right into the decoys, and and he shoots that bird. And I'm like, man, you didn't get a show. You didn't hear cows. You didn't get anything. <laughs> so he actually asked if he could come out the next morning just to see if we could, you know, get one to come in. Get you one know, fired out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we went out the next morning again. But that's yeah. so cool, man. That's so cool. And so is that something you're hoping on or obviously trying to kill, you know, get another bird to work in just like that and give someone a uh, phenomenal first hunt. Will you be mentoring again with BHA this year? Yeah, actually I just got the email yesterday. Oh, cool. From Alec. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah, he's looking for guys again, so Excellent. And he is looking for people. So anyone around the, you know, Waukesha County area, he's looking for mentors. Yeah, definitely. I think we're we're doing another. We're doing, I think, two. Um, at least learn to hunt weekends for for turkey this year. I think we're doing one over by you guys, and another one over in the Driftless with um, Tony Cordero. I think he's he's leading the charge on that one. So wherever okay. folks are at in the state, if you're willing to to travel a little bit or you might not have to it's uh it's yeah. a great opportunity to learn and a great opportunity to uh get your first bird on the ground yeah for sure that's super cool um so as you i'm curious as you've been mentoring others and like helping you know new hunters get into it and figure things out have there been any moments where you've kind of been like almost catching yourself or kind of reflecting back on like, oh man, I remember when I, you know, made that mistake or I remember like, you know, thinking they're having this misconception, whatever it may be. Is there any of those things that have stuck out? Oh, 
happens all the time. It's it's fun. It's fun mm -hmm. to watch, you know. Um, I've really been seeing it the last couple of years with my girlfriend, Karen, and, and uh, she's been going waterfall hunting. And I mean, I just, just this couple months ago in the late season goose, we had a lot of geese flying, but they were all heading to another field and mm -hmm. you know she's like why aren't you calling you know we should be calling these birds and and it's kind of like yeah i remember being horse calling so much and you know <laughs> playing to these geese and it's like they're all going to the same spot you know right so, but you know you have to humor them too and and i, I like to if, if they can call say go ahead go for it just call your heart out you know right uh or or turkeys, you know, I've had it where, you know, it's extremely rare that once a turkey goes past you, he's going to come back. They usually mm -hmm. keep going. Right. Um, you know, and it's like, well, think we can call him back in. So, well, go for it. You know, you got your you got your call. Give it a right. try and see what happens. You know, because <laughs> I, I don't know how many times I've seen that where, you know, they've walked by out of range and they just keep right on going. Yeah. So, yeah, Absolutely. I've seen a lot of that. Right. But at the same time, though, I mean, when you're figuring stuff out and you're learning, especially when you get that first bird to respond to, even if you're just, you know, hacking away at a slate call or something like that, like when you get that first little, you know, cluck that you just kind of punched into your slate and, uh, you know, one sounds off 150 yards away, you're like, whoa, okay, I can do this. No way. Like <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's, yeah. That's the reinforcement you need. That's why I don't know, man. That's we we talk about it a lot on this show about how turkey hunting is like it is neck and neck with whitetail hunting. And obviously it depends on the year, but like every year that goes by, man, it seems like turkeys just get a little bit further ahead. And I don't know if it's just the the weather or the communication with them or what exactly it is. I mean, it's different, totally different game than, than deer hunting, obviously, but man, is it ever fun? I'm just getting fired well, up you know, now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I love turkey hunting. I mean, when all my kids were at home, we were up there scouting before season, then we'd be up there for the youth hunt, and then we'd always try to separate our tags out through the whole season, so we'd be up mm -hmm. there every weekend. You know? Right. Um. But I really, uh, we were talking about small game and what you learn in that and, and how that leads into big game. Mm -hmm. And I really think turkey hunting um, is very similar to hunting, people might laugh, but moose or elk when they're in rut, you sure. use the same tactics. Mm -hmm. You really do. I mean, get in front of the bird or get in front of the animal or find yeah. out where they're hanging out and and work them work them in i mean it's it's very similar in my opinion right um i moose hunted in alberta once and i just was so astonished with how similar it seemed to me right you know you you make a cow call or you make a a, a bull moose call and that moose calls back to you it's like it's just like talking to a turkey, you know? <laughs> except it's way bigger. Right. Uh, and uh, I elk hunt, my son lives in Colorado and he's a mountain hunter and I elk hunted with him and uh, 
for first rifle and they were still bugling. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we used a lot of the same tactics we learned turkey hunting. Right. That's so cool, man. I remember, so I haven't turkey hunted for that long. I was, I think it was 2020 was the first time my buddy Logan took me out and kind of showed me the ropes and uh, we struck up a couple birds and um, you know, just couldn't get it done or anything uh, that morning. But I remember going back, I was living down in Illinois at the time, still in school. And uh, I remember going back home and I went to the archery range uh, that was you know nearby us and I uh, was chatting with some guys who were shooting as well. And I was like, yeah, dude, I went turkey hunting for the first time ever. And like, I didn't realize that when those things gobble at 50 yards, like it, it rattles your rib cage and, you know, you, you feel that percussion and everything. And like, dude, that like made my heart race like nothing else. And the guy just looked at me and he goes, you ever heard an elk bugle at like 80 yards? And I was like, no. And he goes, dude, you'll pee your pants. Like, yeah. <laughs> no. It is unlike anything yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. It'll make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. That's for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. absolutely but absolutely. you know what turkeys turkeys do that to me too and i've been hunting them since the early 90s mm -hmm. you know when you didn't get a tag every year and it closed at noon and you, you know your your tag was only good for five days instead of seven like it sure. is now and um you know you hear that bird gobble, it's like wow there's there's one here i got an opportunity right you know so um yeah, uh, I think a lot of that stuff carries over, you know. Mm -hmm. Definitely. What has, uh, I'm curious too, because we, you know, we got, we had a great time hanging out with you and uh, Karen while we were at the banquet and, um, you know, talking about turkey hunting and some of the, some of, you know, her first hunts and turkeys and stuff like that. And she'd mentioned that she was, uh, you know, she did a lot of outdoor photography and stuff. And that first bird came in and it was, you know, nicely lit and, you know, all strutted up and she was like, dang it, I wish I had my camera. <laughs> what has, uh, what has that kind of process uh, looked like for you guys as you've kind of uh, introduced her to that? Well, I'll first mention that something I've learned from her and I, I learned, you know, from a lot of the people I've mentored that she sees things, details that I've passed up my whole life. Um, Interesting. Like you can see it in her photography, like there'll be a tiny bug on a flower and she'll take that picture because she saw that bug on that flower. Hmm. And I've learned to slow down a little bit and kind of look for the details right. um, while I'm hunting, you know. And um, so that's something I've picked up from her. Um, her transition from shooting with a camera to using a firearm as, uh, you know, at first she was like, I don't know if I can do this. And so, at, you know, and I was totally fine. I think she was worried that I'd be upset if she couldn't pull the trigger. Right. Really, like I say, the stage I'm at really doesn't matter. I mean, you know, if you can't, you can't, I'm fine with that. I, mm -hmm. my oldest daughter, the first time she duck hunted, she she had a duck fly in and land in the decoy zone. When the kids were out for their first year, I would let them shoot a bird if it was sitting on the water. Mm -hmm. 
but once they did that, they had to they had to shoot them flying. That right. was kind of my my thing, you know. She couldn't do it, and I was like, okay, you know, it's fine. I mean, in the back of my head at that time, I was really upset, but it mm -hmm. was like, well, I can't show her that I'm upset, right? Right. You know. Right. That that changed, though. I mean, you know, sooner or later, she missed a few birds, and then she's like, okay, now I really want to get one. You know? Right. So, <laughs> um. But I mean, your question was how she transitioned from photography and the hunting. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, she does really well because a lot of the stuff in photography really carries over. You know, mm -hmm. you gotta sit still. You, if you want to get a good shot, you gotta wait for it. Yeah, you, you know, the light or more for for her, the lighting was important, but right. concealment you know, concealment's important. So what I, you know, she's picked it up pretty easily. Sure. That's super cool. Really, really she's cool. A lot, she's a lot tougher than I thought too. She can really take the cold weather, which I was, <laughs> I was surprised for someone new in the game, you know, mm -hmm. but, uh, that's yeah. awesome. That's so cool, man. Yeah. It was, I mean, we were shoot you and I were talking turkeys. I think, uh, you know, Karen and my girlfriend were, uh, they were, you know, swapping recipes and stuff like that oh, and yeah. talking about <laughs> turkey. Well, I think they ended up talking turkey hunting as well. That's super cool, man. I love just, uh, I mean, I think it's just fascinating to hear what everyone's experience is like getting into things and then also sharing it with someone else. And what did they learn through teaching someone else, right? Because I mean, you, know, you always hear the, the saying, like, you know, if you want to, if you want to really understand something, you need to be able to teach it or try teaching it, I guess, and and that kind of stuff. And that, that's it's really cool that you guys have uh, you know been able to hit it off as much as you have and you know share that time out in the field and and all that. It's been really cool to see. Um, so you mentioned before we uh, started recording. This was actually one of the first things that you mentioned when we were talking at dinner. You've had some involvement with the Wisconsin Conservation Congress, correct? Yes. Awesome. So can you, I, I want to make sure, I don't want to misspeak into what the experience is. I know you served on the board and I know you were involved heavily with the board or with the board, um, you know, or I guess with the Congress uh, for, for a number of years as well. Could you kind of uh, shed some light on your experience with the Conservation Congress and your involvement with them? Sure. Um I'm a Waukesha County delegate now. Uh, I was elected in 2020. So I haven't been on the Congress very long. Mm -hmm. um, it was a two-year, uh, you can either do a three-year or two-year. I, I was elected for two years, but then because of COVID, everything got pushed until this year. So I'm up for election this year. Okay. Um, but I'd been involved with it. I was on and off up until like 2000. And in 2000, some people remember the morning, they'll call it the morning dove vote. Mm -hmm. um, it's when uh, there, there was a proposal to have a morning dove hunt in Wisconsin. So it went through the Congress for public input. And that's mainly what the Congress is for. Um, it's so that the 
people of Wisconsin can voice their opinions on natural resources issues. And we're the only state in the country that has this. Um, really? It, yes. And it's very unique and it's been around, I think this is like the 88th or 89th year, somewhere in there. Don't okay. me. I know it's in the upper 80s. Um, and people people can write their own resolutions or proposals of what how they think that the DNR should handle different situations, and they go through a process. And 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 if the public in your county uh, thinks it's a good idea, then it'll get sent to a committee. And if the committee thinks it's a good idea, the following year it'll be on the on the state ballot, and then the okay. whole state can kind of vote on it. And then from there, that will get pushed to the DNR to say, hey, here's what the people think. And then final decisions can be made. Um, so yeah, after 2000, because um, a big group of us all got together and went, and that was like a record year for for attendance. Yeah. And it was, it was really something. Um, Didn't they have to rent out the Coliseum in Madison instead of... Some yeah, like high school like auditorium like they normally do? I know they they use this. Uh, we have this small coliseum in Waukesha County, and it was packed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was full. It was crazy. Um, and I was like, this this is really something. And I, I haven't missed one since. You know, um, sometimes some years there would only be 10 or 15 people there, but other mm -hmm. years there'll be, you know, a couple hundred. Sure. Um, I, I just think it's a great opportunity for citizens to voice their opinion right i mean and then there's there's committees i don't know how many committees there are all together i'm on the migratory committee mm -hmm. and uh so we'll take like citizen resolutions um and, and decide which way we should go with that type of thing and we work hand in hand with the state biologist uh Taylor Finger, and we voice our opinions on rule changes and, and things of that nature to do with migratory. Um, some of the things will get passed through and they end up having to go through legislation in order to become law. Mm -hmm. um, one good example is Sand Hill Cranes. Yeah. It's a very controversial subject but everything is there scientific wise and citizen wise for us to begin a hunt, but it has to be passed through our legislatures in order to become law. And the best thing citizens can do, I'm just to throw this out there, is to call their representatives and say, hey, if you're in favor of it or you're not in favor of it, um, to say, hey, I believe we should have a sandhill crane hunt, or if you believe you shouldn't. But they're not going to pick it up unless they hear from citizens. Right. Uh, that's just kind of how that works. I actually have a resolution. Go ahead. No, I, I was just, uh, well, you continue. I'll, I've got mine written down here. Well, I have a resolution that's sitting at, uh, my state reps desk that's been sitting there for a few years because she can't 
it's passed through the Congress procedure actually twice. Someone else wrote one very similar a few years before I wrote mine. Mm -hmm. But she can't drum up enough support from other representatives in order to try to put it on a bill. Uh, and, you know, there's people that are uh, obviously are in favor of it. And I keep putting the word out, hey, you got to call it. You got to call your representatives and tell them you believe this is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, they don't know what to do with it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's fascinating, man. So I'm I'm sitting here, my wheels are spinning because I just last week, um, you know, spoke with Paul Anir about the proposed doe hunting ban in the Northern Forest region, right? And so my wheels are spinning like crazy right now, thinking like, okay, seems like if folks are really against this, and I don't know if it's because it's already been proposed as a bill, how that would work. Um, you know, if it's if it's beyond this stage of being able to call your representative to let them know, you know, what what you think and stuff like that to oh, you know, either be in favor or absolutely not. This is the time to to call them. Okay, got for it. Sure, yeah. Got it. Where um, can folks find their their representative? You you can just uh, type it in. You know, you Google it. How do uh, I, how do I find my Wisconsin representative and and everything will come up and it'll ask, you know, where you live and it'll pop up your, your, uh, let, or your state rep and your senators mm -hmm. will come up and, and you can just email them. Got I, mean, it. I, I, um, I email mine quite often on sure. different issues. Um, the last one was on the Pelican river. I let, I let my, Senator and rep know that I was 100% in favor of of the purchase of that, mm -hmm. and they they let me know, hey, okay, thanks for letting us know. You know, there used to be uh, Joel Clayfish used to be a representative. He isn't anymore. His wife was actually the lieutenant governor under Governor Walker, mm -hmm. and uh, he's a big sportsman big goose hunter and duck hunter and all that kind of stuff. And um, he said, if 10 people would contact him on an issue, it was a lot. Really? So that's how few, that's how few people it takes to, to say, Hey, there's interest in this or right. disapprove of this, you know, so few people will, will contact their reps. And, and I mean, they're representing you. Mm -hmm. So you let them know how you feel and, and it can, it can definitely make a difference. Right. That's fascinating, man. I mean, something that, yeah, I'm, I'm not particularly well versed in, um, doesn't sound like a whole lot of people are, if nobody, or if not many people are, are calling in, but I think, you know, what you said here about being able to, you know, just find your state representative, you know, online and send them an email to, uh, to voice your opinion on, on different matters and stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of mind boggling that 10 is considered a lot for something like this for an entire state. Right. And I get that, you know, it's, you know, what your area is representative, but, right, right. but man, that, if anything, that just highlights how powerful just sending an email really can be, especially with all of the, the topics of contention we have, 
you know, right now with, you know, a lot of different conservation stuff, whether it be, you know, a doe ban or, um, you know, wh what have you. I mean, I've, I'm obviously my, my brain's a little bit more geared towards deer and more deer focused on the management yeah. side of that. But what are some other issues that you're seeing, um, you know, in the Congress that are uh, kind of going on in just like a number of different realms, whether it be migratory or upland or um, turkeys, what have you? Well, we see we see a lot uh, with wolves. Okay, um, sure. You know, for and against. Um, that's a pretty hot topic. It has mm -hmm. been recently. Um, we see... quite a bit of uh, trapping, um, you know, there's some people that, and that's another nice thing about, you know, the Congress is you, you can actually tell people, you know, this this is what the law is, because there's a lot of misconceptions as, you know, how things work and trapping is a hot topic. Mm -hmm. um, totally. That way. Um, there's some stuff with bear, uh, that you see pop up uh, quite often. And then like fishing, most of the fishing stuff is just, um, you know, size limits, slot limits, sure. that type of thing, mm -hmm. individual lakes. And, you know, so I, I would say, you know, that type of thing. Got it. Um, and you do see uh, environmental things too, mm -hmm. um, because we cover all that too. Uh, you know, with the chemicals in our waters and that type of thing. Right. I would like to mention, uh, since we're on the Conservation Congress, that there's also a Youth Conservation Congress. And to me, my opinion, it's the highlight of the Congress. Um, they have, right now, they have 49 delegates so they're under 18 to become mm -hmm. a youth delegate and um they're in 26 counties right now and the way it works so let's say there was a a, a youth in Waukesha County they need um a mentor so it'd be one of the five of us that are delegates for the Congress of Waukesha County would would pick up this youth as as a mentor we'd be their mentor and they do interesting all kinds of projects huh um they do hunting and fishing they'll do they'll learn fly tying they do um we have the waterfall expo up in oshkosh that we've run for the last two years and they volunteer at that and and just do a fantastic job and Last year, all the graduates, the ones that turned 18 and left high school, all but one went into uh, college for an environmental field. Awesome. And the one that didn't be became a fishing guide in northern Wisconsin right out of high school. <laughs> Fitting. <laughs> so every, every, every graduating youth delegate went, went into conservation. That's I mean, so cool. It's an excellent program. That's so cool. I can't believe and, even, you know, whether it be youth or just 
the Conservation Congress as a whole. I can't believe that Wisconsin is the only state in the country that has this. Yeah, and there's I'm... actually there's actually uh, a youth delegate that graduated. She's going to college in Montana, and she's trying to get it started there. That would be awesome. Yeah. If any, I feel like if any state, I'm surprised Montana or some of you know in some of these Western states, I'm surprised that there's not one already. I get you know fewer people, but still, I mean that's uh, you know, when you think yeah, about it's... you know those Western states, those big game you know outdoor recreation states, and you have know, hunting fish and stuff like that. I mean that's those are the ones that come to mind. That's I mean, it just goes to show you how much we got going on in Wisconsin. And as you mentioned that, you know, they're one of them, you know, there's some of the events that the, uh, the Youth Conservation Congress is putting on and stuff, with the fly tying and the, um, you know, waterfowl expos and stuff like that. I mean, we really are kind of spoiled here in, in Wisconsin with how much we have access to and how much just incredible opportunity there is to recreate. And I mean, it goes to show too. I mean, it it it's a precious resource, and it's something that looking forward now, right? You know, it's it's something that needs to be protected, and needs to be, you know, managed accordingly. So, you know, getting involved, and you know, I, I hope if anything, folks. One, I mean, like, I hope hearing your your experience on the conservation committee, I hope folks feel compelled to send that email and i hope they feel compelled to reach out to the representatives and uh you know just make their voices heard i mean i'm certainly i i quite frankly i just haven't known how and <laughs> i mean you know yeah you know and, and, and that's the thing that you know a lot of a lot of people don't i mean i didn't um i learned a lot of it through the congress you know mm -hmm. how to how to well, here, this is what you need to do if you want this to pass, you know. And um, unfortunately, my, my uh, resolution hasn't yet, but we're still working on it. If we can, mm -hmm. if we can drop up enough support, it'll, it'll go to a vote on the right. floor and we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Now, that's not every resolution. A lot of the resolutions, the DNR can change the rule or add a rule or whatever, but some of them have to go through the state interesting and don't ask me how they determine which one to do, I'm <laughs> not sure. Unfortunately, I don't man you you cut me off before i could i was literally just yeah. about to say, like, i wish what? i wish i knew but i don't <laughs> interesting interesting huh i wonder if it has I, I'm not going to try and speculate. I have absolutely no clue. You would know better than I would. Um, that's really, really interesting, man. I love hearing about that. And I, I hope folks listening to this are have at least written down to Google their state representative and figure out who they're, you know, who it is that's representing them individually. And, you know, hopefully they save that contact info or or something. As far as the Conservation Congress goes, how do folks go about finding where their local, um, I guess, meetings will be? Or so are held? If, you, if you go on the 
uh, DNR website and just type in Conservation Congress and there'll be a drop down of everything you want to know of who your delegates are, who's on what committee, um, when, you know, the spring hearings this year, so it, it's going back to what it was before I'm going to look up the date. It'll be on April 8th in every county. Every county. Got it. Every county will be on April 8th. And you you can go um, and listen. There'll be people from the DNR. There'll be your your county delegates will be there. Mm -hmm. um, you, can, you can vote there or, or make your opinion there on the resolutions. Or you can also do it online, which will open, I believe, on the 9th or 10th. Okay. And it's open for for like five days or something like that. Got it. All that information is just you go on to be on our website and type in Conservation Congress and everything will be there. That's phenomenal. Folks, I really hope you just wrote that down. I hope you put that in your calendar and I hope you've got some opinions that you're uh, ready to vocalize. Whether they, regardless, I guess, whatever. It's a free country, regardless of what they are. <laughs> Right, um, right. Uh, man, that's cool. It's funny you mentioned that uh, that 2000, uh, the dove hunting uh, hearing, I guess. I actually, so I, I'm a fly casting instructor um, at a fishing school uh, over in kind of actually not too far from you. Um, one of my students that I had in that a few years, I think it was two years ago now, was actually the gentleman who spearheaded the that whole dove hunting, the whole push to have the dove hunt and all that. And it was just a, yeah. a fascinating story about basically up in Wausau, they had all the like a dove farm or you know multiple, I think, and they would ship the the doves down to Illinois where there was a um a you know a legal dove season. And he yeah. would go down there and he and his buddies would uh, you know, they'd they'd give each other crap here and there you know after the after a day of hunting and one of his buddies was messing with him and said yeah you know thanks for thanks for raising all these birds for us it's a shame you can't hunt them by you huh and the guy said yeah tell you what i'm, I'm blanking on the amount but it was either one or two dollars but he bet his buddies each like two bucks that he would get a dove hunt yeah. in wisconsin and sure enough like a year and a half later that was th that huge hearing that you said there and yeah it was uh it was quite the event from from what I've heard. You know, it, was, <laughs> it was. It was very controversial. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in the end, the first couple of years, the harvest was, it wasn't high. It was a good, you know, a, a good amount of harvest. And mm -hmm. it's gotten lower and lower every year since. Right. And it's just participation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on September 1st when dove season opens. So yeah. it's not, there's not a huge interest in it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the proponents of it were worried that we were going to wipe out the dove population and whatnot. And it's kind of the same thing with the sandhill cranes that, you know, people are 
worry that we're going to decimate the population and they're just not understanding how highly regulated it's going to be once there is a season. Um, I try to get that word out as much as I can too to to non-hunters because I I think cranes are awesome too but yeah we have a sustainable population and and we can hunt them and we're Mm -hmm. not gonna we're not gonna wipe them out Um, right it'll be you know limited tags and limited people are gonna get them right you know to begin with so absolutely we'll see we'll see how it goes right that's another one that's been it's been years in the making really Oh yeah, it's been going on for a long time, huh. uh, trying to get a, a sandhill crane hunt. It's probably been through the Congress. I'm gonna say four times already, and it's been approved every single time. And but hmm. it has to go through legislation to become law. So that's where it's sitting. Got it. And that is and that. There's a lot. Of- I was gonna say, is that what happens to a lot of things that they they get to legislation and they just kind of sit, and they just haven't um, had the, like, will they? Is it the type of thing where they'll get to it eventually, or do some things just sit? It's that it doesn't. They're not hearing enough for okay. support, and they're hearing more for people that don't support it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people that don't support support it are, are very vocal and mm-hmm. hunters as a whole are not very vocal people. Right. Um, so that's why it's sitting. Got it. Because, you know, these the representatives represent their people and, and if they get more people telling them that we don't want this, then you know, it's gonna sit. I believe last year, and I'm not 100% sure, I'd have to look it up, but I think there were two senators that wanted to take it up, but they couldn't build enough support. So it's just sitting. Dang. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest issues is um, people that are against it are worried about our uh, whooping crane population. Yeah. And like a misidentification kind of thing or. Yeah. There's a lot to be said about that back and forth. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, it's been said that a whooping crane has never been shot during a legal season by a hunter. But now I know last year, I don't know if it was in Oklahoma or Texas, there were three that were shot and walked away. And I don't know the whole details on that, but that's a big concern. Right. Um, I know the cranes that are in our state are an experimental project. Mm -hmm. Um, They were brought in and, and... they're doing pretty well. Um, actually, back to Karen, she actually got a picture of of two adults and a colt at Horicon Marsh last year. Oh, no kidding. Uh, that colt did not survive 
uh, to adulthood. Oh. Um, it, it ended up dying and it had a necropsy on it and it had some kind of bacteria or something that okay that succumbed to. But huh. yeah, she got some pictures of that, so that was kind of cool. Right, yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Huh. Have you recruited Karen to uh, film any of your hunts? Well, actually, that, you know, <laughs> you were asking. I just thought of it. That's actually how it all started. Um, her family, her and her siblings have a cabin up in uh, uh, Eagle River area on mm -hmm. Lake. And she invited me, hey, why don't you come up and if you want to try a duck hunt? And I was like, yeah, okay. And she's like, well, do you mind if I come along with my camera? So that's where it all started. No kidding. Uh, yeah, that's how that started. And actually, it was kind of cool. A quick little story. There wasn't much flying, and there was uh, some common magansers circling the lake. And I mean, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of magansers um, as far as table fare. Mm -hmm. uh, I usually put them in the smoker, and, and then they're pretty decent. But sure. the other thing too is they're they're a pretty tough bird, and they can dive very well. So if yeah. you wound one, you're usually off to the races. So right. I usually don't target them. But I was like, hey, she's never been out duck hunting. These birds are circling, so I ended up dropping one. And earlier in the day, we had seen this eagle perched up in a tree off to our left. And as my dog's swimming out to retrieve this maganzer, out of the corner of my eye, I see the eagle coming. And he's down low. He's heading for that bird. No way. And I told, I told Karen, I said, listen, if he's getting close to the bird, I'm going to shoot up in the air. Not Obviously not at the eagle, just mm -hmm. to spook it away. She actually got pictures of that eagle coming down with his talons out, wanting to get that bird just before I spooked it. No way. Yeah. So she has she has some pictures of that. That's so cool. What are the I've odds, that, man? I've, had, I've had actually had that happen more than once. Have you? With the eagles, yeah. I guess on the East Coast, they, they target where people are duck hunting. Uh -huh. And they hear the shots and they come in and they'll steal birds that are dead on the water. Really? So they can retrieve them, yeah. <laughs> so. That's so yeah. cool, man. I'm going to have to have you send me one of those pictures just to see it. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. What are um, the odds, man? I'll, I'll ever dig that up. That's so cool. Well, man, we've been going for like an hour and a half or so now getting close to it already. It feels yeah, sure. time flies and all that. I don't want to take up too much your evening here, but man, I want to thank you a ton for coming on, for your interest in coming on the show, um, for your involvement in the, with the conservation Congress and mentorship and BHA. I want to thank, you know, BHA for, I mean, creating the the environment uh you know and just fostering the camaraderie that uh that it, that it does you know i mean we wouldn't be here talking to each other today if it weren't for bha and you know just be, and i mean regardless of if we were uh you know th this podcast were around or not i mean we we i can guarantee you and i would have found a way to start talking turkeys by the end you know just like we did right and just right 
you know, there's there's so few places these days and so few groups that, you know, you can really meet new people who share these common values and common goals and stuff. So I would encourage everyone listening, if you're not already, become a BHA member, regardless of where you're at. Um, you know, attend some of these events. The board members are an absolute riot. The people there are an absolute riot. I promise you, you will have fun. Jeff, before we wrap up, is there anything left you got? Oh, I have all kinds of stuff, but we, <laughs> we, we might have we to get you back on, man. <laughs> I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I, I, I didn't really know how it would go, but it's very enjoyable. I, I, I enjoy getting the word out and, and like you say, BHA is just, they, they've helped me with, um, I do a river cleanup on the Wisconsin river and they, they jumped in and helped me with that mm -hmm. along with some other organizations and they're very grassroots and they're ready to get down and work and it, it they're great. Right. And yeah, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, man. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, yeah, like I said, man, just all the work that you do and, uh, that you've done in your lifetime for conservation and through mentoring people and getting folks, you know, into the, into the sport, whatever it may be, really just getting people outside, man. I mean, you're, you're doing a heck of a job. I'm glad our paths crossed. Um, I don't think this will be the last time we have you on. I'll, I'll, cool. hey, I'll preface the future with that, but um at the so. at good. the very least man we'll be in touch um turkey season's coming up hopefully we can uh, i might have to snag a zone two tag and see if i can make it out your way i'll see if we can put something down or not or at least yeah. you know, maybe end up mentoring uh some turkey hunters together or something through bha who knows sure. but jeff sure. i i really appreciate your time man i appreciate your interest and in, uh coming on the show and just all the support there and uh We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. That's all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. And while you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would appreciate that a ton. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman Pod. That's also the best way to get a hold of me to suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on this show. Big thanks to our awesome partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more awesome outdoor content, go check out thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find a ton of other outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.